Hi, and welcome back to the Cycling Dads Podcast, a podcast for dads who ride. I'm Aaron Thomas-Smith, and along with Devin Palmer, we are your hosts and fellow cycling dads. I know it seems like there's not a ton to talk about, but trust me, there is a lot of dad-related cycling content out there still, and we're going to bring it to you. Today, we have an interview with Jesse Reince, local Category 1 cyclocross racer, mountain bicycle enthusiast, and cycling dad. He talks about that one weird trip he took to Europe that ended with a bunch of tubes and how much fun it is to bring your kid to Buck Hill for Thursday night racing. Thanks for joining us and be sure to subscribe and rate us for a new show every week in 2021. Welcome, everyone, to the Cycling Dads podcast, a podcast for dads who ride. I am your host, Aaron Thomas-Smith, joined always with... Devin Palmer, realtor with Remax Results, host... Aaron, I believe your title is co-host. I am the host. Oh, I'm co-host, your host. We'll figure that out. That's... This is... We're in the first episode, Devin. So there'll, there'll be a hierarchy established at some point. We ha- Aaron, we have our first interview today. We do, we do. We are joined today... Uh, by Jesse Reince, uh, uh of Cool Racing, uh, fellow cycling dad, uh, great all-around guy. Um, uh, Jesse, uh, you work uh, uh, for a local humidifier company, correct? Correct, pure humidifier. And you just kind of do just about every for everything for them, right? You're just you, you, whatever they need, whatever that encompasses, including pretty much uh, CAD drafting, tech support. I work out in the shop a little bit, tuning gas burners for some of our units that go out the door. Um, they have not taught me to weld yet, so that's on the list. Well, once you do that, I mean, then you can just start making your own bike frames. It'll be right. it'll be solid. So obviously, they're trying to keep you from that because they know you'll just go right into frame building and lose your great talents elsewhere. So, um, so Devin, what what are the qualifications for uh, an individual to join our podcast? The things we really are looking for is someone who is a dad, that's pretty important, and someone who rides. So Jesse, we we vetted you, but can you, just for our listeners, inform them your qualifications for coming on the Cycling Dads podcast? I am also a dad of two children, a six-year-old son, one-year-old daughter, um, yeah, who also like cycling. Okay. (laughs) That's both boxes checked. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. So Jesse, you and I just to give a background. So so uh, Jesse, we've known each other for man nine, maybe ten years now. I met you fairly early on uh, in my cycling career, um, and I I think the first memory that I have of of you is riding um, my very uh, ill planned uh, event, the Oxyoke One Twenty Four. Um, which was billed originally as a Almanzo prep ride, which was going to take place the week before the Almanzo. Uh, but it was a prep ride that was both longer than the Almanzo, uh, and in many ways, not as not uh, in any way preparing you for the Almanzo. In fact, I think there was almost zero climbing, which is a big feature of the Almanzo. There was gravel. Um, how how did that go? What's your memory of of that event? Um, because at the end of it, you were the only person sitting with me at the fixed studio eating a hot dog. 
Uh, I do remember the rollout from the fixed studio, I believe, is where we left from. And it's slow. the ride slowly dwindled. Like somewhere out by, was it Waconia, where there ended up being no road? It was like two-track B road. I don't know what it actually was. I think it's where the loose line kind of sort of goes but doesn't. Does that sound right? Yeah, Meeker County basically decided that the trail didn't exist for a number of years. And uh, I believe that year they had just completely abandoned it. So at one point you were routed through uh, a model airplane field <laughs> that was not actually in any way designed for cycling. Hmm. And then we were out in, was it Hutch, I think? And a few people dropped, we stopped at a bike shop, I believe. And then somebody called to get a ride home because it started to rain. And at that point we were like <laughs> halfway in. So it was either call somebody. I think we stopped and got snacks at a Dunn Brothers maybe somewhere out there. Yep. And yep. then by the time we ended up on, was it Wyzetta on that new paved trail coming back, it was, or we had like 30 mile an hour headwinds for probably 15 miles. Yep. Hurl. Yep. Tatting in the rain. Head. Yep, in the rain. And then at some point, Hurl peeled off, and I think that was it. Like, yep. There was a death march to the end. It, it was a death march to the end. That was that, that ride has never happened since. Um, although, uh, occasionally, I'm, I'm Instagram chastised for not putting it on um, by yourself, Jesse. So, I mean, you just described essentially a horrible event. Uh, uh, why do you want that to come back? Well, I think the new version should actually stop at the Oxyoke once we're able to, because they have delicious hamburgers. Oh, really? Um, yes. Okay. And uh, I think the number keeps changing in my head, too, because I think it started out as the 124, and it's gone up to, like, 268. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think that was, like, a, a there and back, and then there and back again is the yeah. plan. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it'll it'll be nuts. So, Jesse, you've you've been involved with cycling for a, a very long time. When did you start riding a bike and and getting involved competitively? Because uh, I've seen some some great photos of you in like the '90s with a lot of like local cycling legends, the Swanson brothers, um, Hollywood Henderson. Why, why don't you just walk us through that? Uh, probably, I think it was about '97 when my college roommates bought bikes. And we all kind of started doing it. And then I started racing. I think at Buck Hill was probably my first race or a mountain bike race out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then it just kind of, when you see results and you kind of get after it a little bit, you just kind of stick with it. And that's kind of what I did. So, by, so your college roommates, what college were you attending at the time? I went to um, Northwest Technical Institute in Eden Prairie, which is a drafting school that used to be across the road from Eden Prairie Center, which happens to be, the school happens to be in one of the shots from Mallrats, if you remember that movie. <laughs> I oh, <really>? do. <laughs> yeah. Funny. So that's, so just in the shot though, like it wasn't a part of the, I don't remember them ever going to an no, education. It's just in the background. You notice it if you choose to notice it. Yeah. And to be clear, that is the main, um, credential of your fine alma mater uh probably and actually i've gone to school since because i started out as an architectural drafter doing really high-end residential and then when the housing market kind of went away back when 
what was that, 2010? 2008, I think. Wasn't that the start Um, of the crash? Then I I looked for work for probably a year or two and decided to go back for mechanical drafting at Hennepin Tech. Nice. So you had a good almost 15-year run um, of being a pretty serious cyclist, and you you said you were racing at that kind of professional level, running around, traveling across the country for mountain bike events, right? Correct, yep. Back when Norba was a thing and there was a series, so Mount Snow, Snowshoe, uh, Mount Snow, Vermont, Snowshoe, West Virginia, Big Bear. Um, so you were you were really living the life, and then nine years ago. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, eleven years ago, I met my wife approximately, mm-hmm. and was still. I mean, I'm I've still been racing. I just haven't been traveling as much. I have had. Uh, been to Europe a few times, racing Masters Worlds. Um, I spent two months in Europe doing an uh, altitude study. This was right after we got married, I believe. Yeah, so there was an ad on Cycling News that had come up for looking for um, avid expert cyclists and uh, to go live and train just north of Geneva in France for this altitude study through a... uh, University of Zurich, I believe it was. And uh, did you try to did you try to parlay that into oh honey, this is our honeymoon? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing was is I had never been to Europe, and that summer, my wife and I, like, so it would have been about nine months after we got married, took our real honeymoon and did three weeks in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I had spent three weeks there, and I came home for about five weeks and then I left for two more months so that year I spent almost three months over in Europe so and what were the results of the altitude study uh they were mostly trying to prove that it was the altitude and blood volume that is what gave you the advantage and not some sort of muscle adaptation so we had interesting two muscle biopsies we spent like the first two weeks were just regular living at, I think it was 2,500 feet. And then the middle four weeks, we had to be in altitude rooms for 16 hours a day. Mm. And depending on, so they had to split into three groups, but you didn't know if you were the placebo or if if you were in a room that was actually adjusted to, I think it was 3,500 meters. So, you know, 10,000-ish feet. So at the time, I was taking online classes for Hennepin Tech so I could make this whole thing work. So I actually had something to do when I was inside of a room for 16 hours, whereas some people found the end of the internet and watched more movies than you'd know what to handle. (laughs) So very similar to the typical quarantine situation that we're seeing now, except you were in a room that may or may not have been uh, giving you like 10,000 feet of elevation. Uh, Oh man, that's, that sounds rough, dude. That's, I mean, in my head, what I was seeing was, and Devin, I don't know if you were seeing this too, but like, you know, Lance Armstrong on a bike, on a treadmill, all sorts of tubes coming out of your face. Uh, there you was know. also that. There was that. Okay. So that, okay. that sound, I mean, that, that seems uh, one terrifying, but also like you'd get some pretty cool data to put on your Strava, although it, that might've been pre Strava. So I think it was right about when Strava released. I'm not sure, but yeah, we had, so Three days a week, we were at a hospital about 20 kilometers away in Switzerland, 
to go through all of this different testing. So we did an indoor time trial once a week, which really sucked when you're looking out the window at the Swiss countryside mm-hmm. doing a train time trial. Um, we had a like a CO rebreathing thing, and that's how they tested the volume of our blood to see how much blood we've blood volume we would gain at altitude and then we would do like a vo2 test once a week on the um ergometer in one of the labs so one would be at regular whatever the altitude of the room was and then we would have one with reduced breathing with a mask on so it we were essentially training at doing this effort at 3000 meters or whatever it was so so vo2 max at simulated 3000 meters in a room staring out at beautiful countryside. Are you sure this wasn't like a mental break test? I mean, it partly was that also. <laughs> Oof. Oof, that sounds rough. So you're so you're 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 at a point where uh, dudes in Switzerland want to figure out your blood volume at altitude. Um, and then you had kids. Yep. Uh, so how how did your relationship with cycling change uh, from being you know this cat one racing uh, semi to professional level uh, uh, beating the Swanson brothers? I don't know if that's actually true. They were, were, were we did can you, say it. Did you beat the Swanson brothers? Because they might have eventually be on this podcast. I'm sure there was a few times. There was some tip for tap. It might have been later in their career when that happened. Aaron, I think it's important we make some bold claims that may or may not be true. That way, these Swanson brothers have to come on to refute us. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so Jesse never once lost to any of the Swanson brothers, together or separate. Uh, there we go. There's the claim. Done. Boom. Come on. Refute it. Let's make this happen. Uh, and so so what changed? You know, did, did cycling kind of go away? Were you able to kind of keep at that high level? I know that you know, where you are now and, and we'll get to that, which is, which is, I think, you know, going to be exciting, but how did you uh, manage being a dad, being a husband, working and uh, riding? Uh, it, it definitely became less. I wasn't traveling. That's kind of when I stopped really going to a lot of the, the bigger races, which was fine with me. Cause at that point there wasn't really any reason to be doing it anymore. You kind of give it a, a few years to take your shot and see what happens. And, um, but I was still be able, I was still, I had, you know, my wife was very understanding. I was still able to ride a fair amount cause she knew how much it meant to me and how much it was part of my life up until then. But, you know, a lot of times it got to be getting up super early and getting outside cause this was even pre Zwift. So, or getting out on lunch rides, which is still a pretty big staple of when I train, when I'm at work, you know, skip lunch, go for a ride or whatever and eat while I'm at my desk. So it, uh, so you said fair amount. What does fair amount mean to you? Does that mean five hours a week, 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week? I would say five to eight. Okay. Back then about, which is, I mean, this year has been different because of COVID. I've actually been able to get a little bit more in, especially with Zwift before and after kids go to bed or early in the morning, but yeah, probably that range, I'd say. Yeah, you've actually been on a number of uh, uh, my Zwift rides for Birchwood, uh, which is definitely not a challenge for you because uh, they're uh, meetup only views, gr- everyone groups together. Um, you can go at like nine to 10 watts per kilogram and it's not going to let you go any faster than what the group is going. Um, 
but it is still very nice to have you on those. And it, Zwift is a godsend, I think, for for many dads, just because of exactly what you're talking about. Kids go down, and in the time that you would normally spend getting ready for like an outside fat bike ride, uh, you can be done with your Zwift ride. You can you can be out the door. I I just did a crit last night that took me I don't know 17 minutes, and I think it was like three minutes on either end getting ready and recovering, uh, you know, catching my breath. And then I was done. I was ready to go. It's great. Yep. Um, and is your, I assume because you're doing lunch rides, your work is pretty chill with you heading out there and, and getting in an hour or so. Oh yeah. Um, cool. Cool. That's, that's a really important thing. I, I mean, they're super flexible. You know, there's days where I can go into work at five and work, you know, Especially now with COVID, like I've been trying, I've been doing some shorter weeks just because to get home and help out with the kids' school and stuff like that. So it's been, you know, I essentially can work uh, the hours that I choose, which is really nice. So, so Jesse, I know you from cyclocross, and I've had the pleasure of announcing you racing in cyclocross races a number of times. Um, so how did cyclocross kind of come? Cause, cause I feel like that kind of happened post kid for you. Uh, and then your sponsorship with cool, if, if you can kind of walk us through, you know, how you were able to become this kind of force in the local cyclocross scene. It started to get, a, you know, a little bit more popular on my radar, probably about that time. And I was doing some of the races and then I got on when the nature Valley team kind of disappeared, that's where I originally kind of started. That was my team pretty much up until I don't even know the last year that they kind of stopped their team sponsorship. But, um, then I got on through cool because a local racer out of Wisconsin moved to Utah, which is where cool is based. And they were looking for, two or three Midwest riders. So that's how I got into cool probably 10, 10 years ago, I'd say on like their mountain bike, elite mountain bike team. And then at the time I, I was able to get onto the Trek cyclocross collective and I raced on that team for the first three years they were around when like Katie Compton was still on it before it separated into her own thing. And then when that after that third year, then cool kind of added a cyclocross masters team also. So I was able to kind of keep everything in one. So, Oh yeah. I kind of forgot about the, that little period of time you were on the, the cross, uh, collective. Yep. Um, I think I went down to Waterloo. You did Trek cup on that team. Is that yep. correct? Yep. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. Uh, you know, them taking their cows out and riding around on the Trek, uh, company course. Um, Cool, dude. So, so cool. I mean, that's a, that's a really long time for a sponsorship to be taking place. Um, is that, is, you know, I, that's kind of unique in our, in our, is, is it just cause it's really working out well for them or is it kind of just the owner of, of cool is really into cycling and, um, he just likes to see the kit out there. You can't buy the kit unless you don't get the kit, unless you're on the team or if, you know, someone has happens to donate kit or something like that. So that keeps it kind of exclusive, which is super cool because you'll get people asking, where can we buy that? And it's not typically available unless you, unless you want to buy someone's old chamois. Um, yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah. And as long as, you know, the, the cross racers are mostly masters guys, but 
you know, they like to see people engaged on Instagram. That's what I mostly use. And, you know, some use Facebook, but yeah, the, the owner's really into it. So the team just keeps going. So pretty stoked. So when you're like getting ready for a cyclocross season, which hopefully we're going to have one this year, um, you know, what, what is your yearly training plan, like kind of blocked out look like? with you know the idea that school is happening in kind of that first quarter right and then you have summer break with your kids kind of and then you know august is kind of that ramp up a couple of races and then you're really hitting it hard in september so what how do you make that work with everything else that you have going on i think i mostly just try and stay fit all the time not like top race fit all the time but i don't want to like it's really hard to get it back if you stop so it's more or less, you know, doing weights, doing some running, doing some skiing in the off season and not doing all the cycling all the time. But with Zwift, that makes it hard because you're like, man, it's February. I can hop into a race here. But if you come in too hot, but I don't really, I don't really block out the season a whole lot. I'll do a few mountain bike races in the summer, especially now that the kids are really into it also. So they'll do my my daughter will be able to do like a like a one lap mountain bike race instead of just the kids race you know oh wow that's awesome and she's done some cross races too right she did a full season the last time we had a full season and was the uh 9 to 12 cyclocross rider of the year for the series so she's pretty stoked on that and my son likes it but he's very well, he's not old enough to do the full race and he kind of gets bored with like the the kids scramble around the the oval or whatever they do. So he uh he likes it too. So I you know, they're always out mountain biking with me or whatever it happens to be. And my nine year old last summer her goal was to <clears throat> to ride to grandma's house, which is forty three miles away. So we took a Saturday and hopped on the bikes and rode from Shakopee to Woodbury. So, Oh, wow. That's amazing. And how did, how did that go? Is that good? <laughs> it was good. I mean, you know, a couple snack stops, obviously. Of, mm-hmm. of course. Of course. Um, Key. And it was, it was probably, I'd say 90% of it was on bike path. So there's only a little section out, out of Highland park in Bloomington that you have to take like a road, um, bike lane i guess so oh yeah yep like i think it goes down 90th i want to say or 96th and then you end up near the mall of america and then you're on trail when you cross 494 alongside that trail and yeah it went it went pretty well she would the only thing i didn't think about is that amount of time in the saddle so (laughs) i don't think about that and like well there was probably could have pulled out some chamois butter (laughs) For her, but she she enjoyed it. But yeah, it was a good time. So, how has it been um, ushering her into the sport or helping support her as she chooses to come into the sport? Uh, I guess it really all started from with all the travel my wife did. I really, if I wanted to hang out with my friends, I would pretty much just bring them to all the events, you know. Mm-hmm. So they got used to being around it all the time meeting plenty of people out at the races, you know, so, um, getting to the point where they can probably watch themselves if my wife doesn't happen to be there, 
and they can, you know, at Buck Hill, they can sit for an hour. They know enough people around. So, um, yeah, just, just having them there. And she, she did little, she's done little Bella's two years now and really enjoys that. Oh, that's a great program. Riding mountain bikes with other girls. So she's met and met friends that way. Um, and the more she's there, the more friends she makes at the bike races. So that helps out too. So when we show up, you know, there's friends there. So same with my son, you know, he comes to all the stuff too. So, Oh, that's, that's great. I'm just thinking about my five-year-old and how he's loath to get on the bike at this point and just trying to turn that around through the exposure therapy, I think is, that's a great idea, Jesse. I'm going to just yeah. do that because I don't think a kid can go to Buck Hill and have a bad time. That's, right. I've heard that it's just super fun, a great environment, uh, you know, music and toys and treats and, you know, what's not to like yeah. as a, as a young kid. So that's brilliant. So Kelly Bauer would always be there with Josh for the most part. And Love Kelly. Love she, Kelly. She brought mini cupcakes like two weeks in a row. So they definitely remember that. Dad, is that lady going to be here that brought the mini <laughs> cupcakes? So, yep, it's all that little community things that don't really get thought about. But little kids have a bear trap for a mind and they remember all those things. They really do. It's it's amazing the things that my son brings up to me that I just wish he would have forgotten. Um, but that's... So it has helped you a ton in the last few years um, to, to stay fresh in the sport yourself and to stay engaged in the sport, um, bringing it full circle and bringing the kids into the picture as well. Yeah. It's cool. It's like a Lion King circle of life thing. I would say we have a pretty strong Lion King comparison to make, right? Well, cool. Well, Jesse, really appreciate having you on the podcast, uh, hearing some of the stories. Uh, I also really like that we got a, a Kelly Bauer shout out in here because she's awesome. And that whole sense of community that we really do have in the Minnesota cycling community, um, is, is great. Like we all get along. We're all very friendly with each other. There's not a lot of, uh, yelling or negativity. So that's, that's cool to bring that up. Is there anything that, you know, you kind of want to say out there to any other dads that are listening that maybe are, you know, really struggling to get on the bike after having kids and becoming a new dad or, um, or maybe to dads that are a little bit more, uh, established and you're racing against them in cyclocross. I think the biggest thing is just to try and make time for it, I guess, even if it is after the kids go to bed, even if that, if, if it's hard to do that or early in the morning, because if you just stick with it, it seems to help just for mental, mental sake, just to have that thing to go to. Um, yeah, that would be my, and just have your kids around it. If it's something you enjoy, you know, bring them along so they can see how, see what it brings to you. They'll see maybe that same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. We actually call back to the first episode we had where we mentioned Jordan Cullen, which is like the epitome of hanging around something, picking it up and then beating all of us mediocre uh, uh, cat force for many years, myself included. So uh, that's great. Well, once again, Jesse, thank you so much uh, uh, and uh, really appreciated having you on. Um, and Devin, uh, thank you, sir, for uh, uh, making this uh, happen. Anything you want to say as we wrap up? No, thank you, Aaron. Uh, for what? For being the best co-host <laughs> a guy could ask.
Thanks again for listening, everyone. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. Our next episode comes out this next Monday, February 15th. Talk to you then.